Well, the team overall looked very good on Saturday against Portland State, but there are some individuals who need some individual love as well. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks with season finally back in session. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college for a free water bottle with any purchase. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. So. We've got some individuals to discuss the Texas Tech game, a little bit of context there, and Colorado. Let's let's talk briefly about Colorado. We're not overlooking the Red Raiders, but I have thoughts about uh, the Buffs and their big win over the weekend. But individual standouts who I thought had exceptional games that are worthy of recognition in the archives of the Jedi Order. Some of you are going to understand that. Some of you are not, but I just quoted a Sith Lord. How about that? And we're not even two minutes into the show. So first standout uh, that I wasn't necessarily expecting, but knew would have a role of sorts, Gary Bryant Jr. Now, he was listed as an or as the number one Z receiver on the depth chart when it came out prior to the game last week. And that was a little bit of a surprise to me. And a little bit not, eh, that was more of a surprise than not, though not entirely. So the later that transfers get added to a roster, the more likely it is, I think those guys are going to end up playing key roles on the team. Perfect example. Cole Martin was wearing number 25 in the spring game. You know who was wearing number 25 on Saturday? Because he's a guy who's going to see more snaps this year. Nico Reed. You know who came in kind of after the fact? Nico Reed. So I think what you have is, is, is a world now in the transfer portal where the later somebody comes in, the greater the likelihood that they're going to be addressing a need that the staff has seen, whether it in spring or fall camp or uh, throughout the course of the season or anything like that. So I did not expect Gary Bryant Jr. to choose Oregon because I knew he would have a lot of options in the portal where he could get visibility, where he could get touches, where he could score, be productive and whatnot, as he had been for one season. USC saw his role get reduced last year. I didn't think it was a great fit, but he showed on Saturday that he's a really good football player. And I didn't doubt that part of it. I just wasn't sure with Treshawn Holden already there whether or not he would see the field a ton. And I think this is an interesting situation to monitor going forward because Treshawn Holden still looked quite good. He had a nasty juke move. He caught an out pattern from Ty Thompson, one of uh, Thompson's seven completions from Saturday. And he had two Portland State guys kind of tackling each other because he just hit the brakes hard. I mean, hard, hard. Like hard enough to where if you're driving on ice and you have anti-lock brakes, you would hear that of the brakes preventing your tires from uh, locking up so that you don't skid on the ice and everything. So he 
I think, looks exactly as we thought he would. But Gary Bryant was the more productive player on Saturday. Does that continue to be the case? Or was this just, you know, him playing more in this particular rotation of players against Portland State where everybody kind of got on the field? I don't know. But he had seven catches. Uh, he had a couple of touchdowns. And I, I thought he made some really, really nice plays. He had some chemistry with both quarterbacks working. So uh, I think he was an individual standout. Another one, Jordan James. I'd always been high on Jordan James last year, and I think everybody liked him. And he he was, as a true freshman in 2022, uh, he did not uh, use a red shirt. He burned his red shirt because we used him a lot last year because he was really, really effective. And he was a short yardage back. But in the select moments where he kind of broke through the first level and got to the second or third last year, I looked at him and I saw a lot of Noah Whittington who went out in this game early with an injury. They kept him out as a precaution. And guess what? That's going to be the right approach, not just today, but in theory all season long because Jordan James looked outstanding. And I always thought he could be more than just a short yardage back. He showed that on Saturday. And this is somebody who is a key contributor now, will be a key contributor all season long. And as we think way, way ahead to the future, we think about Oregon landing the number one commit in the state of Washington yesterday, by the way, in Braden Platt, four-star linebacker. Just thought I would toss that in there. Be honest, though, I don't care about recruiting quite as much during the season. Like that's, We got plenty of time to talk about recruiting. Now is the time to talk about football. But Jordan James, as you think ahead, is someone who I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was a feature back in 2024. If Irving and Whittington go to the NFL and are able to, you know, if they think they're going to get drafted and they decide to go in the draft and whatnot, I could see the three running backs on Oregon's roster right now being your trio for next year. And Jordan James could be at the top of the list. I, I, I thought he looked exceptionally good. He reminds me a lot of Noah Whittington. He's built like a bowling ball. He's not particularly tall like Dante Dowdell. He's got a low center of gravity. He's physical, but he's shifty between the tackles. I, I, I liked what I saw from him quite a bit. Another guy, and this is flying under the radar, but he deserves a shout out here. Jackson Powers Johnson, who is sliding over to be our starting center, which is arguably the most or second most important position along the offensive line. I need Jeff Schwartz's thoughts there because he played, I think, a lot of right tackle, but played some left tackle as well back in the day. I might not be remembering that. I know he was a tackle, but if you're talking about the most important offensive lineman, it's either your center or your left tackle. And there's a good case for center. There's a good case for left tackle. Both matter a tremendous amount. I didn't notice a single bad snap. I didn't notice any protection breakdowns. I didn't notice the offensive line doing anything but giving Bo Nix time and opening up running lanes. And that starts with the dude that is getting everybody together, calling the shots along the offensive line. And that's my man, JPJ. And I thought it was great. I mean, when the offense runs seamlessly, like it did a year ago for the most part, it's because you have a great center who's starting everything out, right? You got to start with a clean snap. I don't need to mention that game. I don't need to mention it. We know how important clean snaps are. So uh, I, I thought he looked quite, quite good. Taishim Johnson. I thought he looked fast. I thought he was active, played all over the field. You know, he can play nickel. He can play over the top. He had four tackles, which with the rate at which Oregon was rotating players onto the field defensively, four tackles was about as good as you were going to do. Four tackles, he had a pass defended, and he had a tackle for loss. And I think that what Oregon was missing from the safety position last year was speed. 
It, it was speed and explosiveness. I think you had it with Brian Addison, and I think that was kind of it. You know, Steve Stevens, solid player, veteran, high IQ guy, not an explosive athlete. Jamal Hill is downplaying linebacker because he wasn't always fast enough to be over the top. Bennett Williams, we know what happened there. Really good player in the box. Doesn't have the speed to go over the top. I, I think Taishim is someone who we've seen play behind the line of scrimmage, can clearly play over the top a, as well. We'll see what happens when he goes up against you know higher level competition. But this is a guy who comes over from the SEC, not like he hasn't seen it before. But I liked what I saw from him. And, and having that kind of it factor, having that you know impact where they make those plays that kind of pop off the screen, you go, whoa, uh, that, was, that was a nice play. I see Taishim Johnson doing that quite a bit. And I saw that on Saturday, and I was really encouraged by that because the safeties are one of the position groups from Morgan's defense from a year ago that need to get better. Everyone can get better at some level, but the safeties didn't make a lot of big-time plays, and and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point this season we see Taishim Johnson uh, making a a, a big-time play. Uh, There were two other guys, one of whom is definitely not who you are thinking of when it comes to who was a standout as an individual on Saturday. Bird Dog Shorts are standout products, though. Absolutely. No matter what you're doing, Bird Dogs are going to be there for you. They are so comfortable. They are. Tri- I got it. multiple pairs in my dresser right now. You can wear them anywhere you want. Their versatility is perhaps their best quality. You can wear them swimming, hiking, jogging, golfing, walking on a date, whatever you want to do. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, except they fit way better. That's kind of what we're going for, right? We've got the right fits in many areas on defense. You got to have the right fits with your shorts. That just has to happen. You, you got to have it. Got to have Taishin Johnson in there playing fast and furious. Got to have the Bird Dog shorts for whatever activity you're doing while it is still warm wherever you live. They fit way better than regular shorts as well, which are made of a stiff, restricting cotton, and they are good for any occasion. So go to birddogs.com slash college or enter promo code college at checkout for a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. I promise you that second segment sips allow me to give you the best possible show that I can. Thank you so much for tuning in, by the way. Wherever you listen to or watch the show, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Mailbag questions always open on the YouTube comments or on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. We'll get to the mailbag a little bit later. But two more individuals here. First one is a bigger name, Jordan Birch. I thought he looked good. Three tackles, one for loss, made some havoc moments. There was one play in particular. I know it was Portland State, but this is kind of what we hope to see as the year goes on. One thing that I talked about in the offseason leading up to this year about Jordan Birch is, hey, I think he helps Brandon Dorless. Because Dorless, who looks a little bit bigger than last year, because I think he's going to play a lot more on the interior of the defensive line. That's where he's at his best. That's where he will project as an NFL player, I think. One area that I thought would be good is, hey, Dorless last year was our best pass rusher, and it wasn't particularly close. Well, DJ Johnson, I guess, technically was, but Dorless was the best for pressure rate. But 
what happened last year is you didn't have the depth of talent to draw the attention of offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches, right? In 2021, you know what offensive line coaches and offensive coordinators always knew when playing Oregon? Where in the world is Kayvon Thibodeau? What is he doing? And Brandon Dorless is that kind of guy. DJ Johnson had the most sacks last year. Dorless was our best defensive lineman. And that's the guy who you say, where is he? We need to know where he is. It's not a Thibodeau level player. He's he's not he's not performing the way Kayvon Thibodeau did, but he commands that level of attention. And there was a play against Portland State where the Vikings offensive line was kind of unsure who they were supposed to focus on. Dorless or Birch both ended up getting through. And this is exactly why I like this addition for the Ducks. Is having Birch there commands more attention to free up one-on-ones for other guys like Brandon Dorless. And players like Mace Funa or Mateo Uyunglele, who played a lot, or Amarian Winston, who was playing at the edge position quite a bit. Blake Purchase got in there at the edge spot as well for, for the Ducks, edge, defensive end, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, they kind of have a defensive end and then an edge on the one side, and sometimes the edge is a strong side backer. Like it just it depends on the, the, the def- defensive package that the Ducks are rolling with there. But That is what I want to see as the season goes on. That's how Oregon's going to create pressure is, hey, we can't double team Jordan Birch because that leaves Dorless one-on-one and we don't like that matchup either. We got to... We got to provide a little bit of help to both or, hey, we have to, you know, double team Dorless and then provide a chip on Birch. Well, that leaves a one-on-one for somebody else. Mteuyungle, your show. That, those are the chess matches that go on over the course of games uh, to try and generate pressure. So I like seeing that from Jordan Birch. Here's the one that you didn't expect, that I didn't even necessarily expect. Because we heard a lot in the offseason about Luke Dunn, the punter. How about Ross James? Ross James went out there and in Oregon's, I believe, only punt of the game, delivered a 58-yard behemoth of a blast. Dropped the ball to his right foot and shot it out of a cannon like he was in a ship battle in Pirates of the Caribbean. Just... I mean, that thing was majestic to watch. Spencer, why are you getting excited about a punt? Because last year, Oregon was last in the Pac-12 in punting average per attempt. And guess what? A good defense is aided tremendously by good special teams and good punting. And I would love to see Oregon continue to improve in that regard. So, certainly not the only players who did well, but guys who caught my eye. Gary Bryant, wide receiver. Jordan James, running back. JPJ, the center. Tyshin Johnson, the safety. Jordan Burt's the defensive end. Ross James, the punter. How about it? So, let's move into Texas Tech. So, the Texas Tech game now looks and feels different than it did prior to Saturday. Now, I won't say there was massive blowback, but there were some individuals who were, um, shall we say, calling me out, coming after me, whatever you want to say, uh, who were pushing back on what I feel is an obvious take. Apparently, it's not, because not everyone, everyone feels this way. But the Texas Tech game is now different than the Texas Tech game before the season. What do I mean by that? They lost to Wyoming on the road on Saturday. It was not a well-played football game from the Red Raiders, who some people had pegged as a dark horse to win the Big 12, who some people had as a preseason top 25 team, depending on where you looked. 
They're coming off an eight-win season, second-year head coach, returning quarterback. All the ingredients were there, and they went and laid an egg in Laramie. I think that's where the University of Wyoming is located. They went and laid an egg, and they lost in double overtime. They had a fourth and seven for the win on defense. They brought the house. Wyoming got it away, scored a touchdown, and then ran it in for the two-point conversion. It was not a good day for the Red Raiders. Now, what that means for Oregon, it does not eliminate our ability to get to the college football playoff because the Pac-12 is so darn strong. What it does mean is that a win is not going to do as much for the Ducks at this point in the season in terms of improving our ranking and how we are viewed in the eyes of the playoff committee as it would have had they won that game. Now, maybe Texas Tech turns their season around. Maybe we beat them on Saturday and then they end up ending the regular season 9-3. and three. That would be great because you want to have quality wins where you can get them. Remember, this is a subjective move by the committee to select the four best teams and look is it going to matter greatly probably not because the pac-12 is so darn good and if we're a one-loss conference champion there's a high likelihood we get into the college football playoff certainly if we're an undefeated conference champion we'll be in but i don't know that that i mean that that's just really hard because the pac-12 is so darn good but a one-loss conference champion if you were looking at it in compared to, I don't know, let's say an 11-1 and Michigan team, just as a hypothetical. If you have a win over a top 25 Texas Tech team and Michigan has, you know, a win over Ohio State somehow, but, you know, lost the Big Ten championship or was 11-1, and I don't know, something like that, it could be a differentiator. It's that There's a small likelihood that it would come down solely to having that win there, but I would like Oregon's resume to be as strong as possible. And now a win does not do as much for the Ducks, and a potential loss is far more punitive to the Ducks after Texas Tech lost to Wyoming last weekend. I thought that was plain and obvious. A lot of you agreed. Some of you did not. I thought I'd mention it on the show. Now, I thought going into the game that Texas Tech was a good team, but that Oregon was better, and that we would go in and win. We've moved from a three-point favorite to a six-and-a-half or seven-point favorite, depending on where you look. I think that's appropriate line movement, given the outcomes of the games last week. I do not feel that this is a game Oregon can just roll in and just walk over Texas Tech, but nor do I feel quite as worried about them after the way they handled Wyoming a week ago. Now, let me just put this hypothetical out there just just as a random hypothetical and let me start with the concept here is it possible for a college football team to have peaks and valleys that are very far apart is it possible just as a random hypothetical for those listening, I winked sarcastically, to, I don't know, lose to a 3-9 and nine Stanford team, but also beat the eventual Rose Bowl champion Ohio State Buckeyes in the same season with the same team, just a matter of a couple of weeks apart. Is that possible? I'm trying to think of a time where something like that happened. I'm trying to I'm trying to think and I'm just I'm I'm racking my brain here. I'm really thinking about I I might have to think about it just just a little bit more. 
You don't have to think about joining FanDuel, though, and going to get your betting fixed because the NFL season is right around the corner. You can get incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Maybe you think Oregon is going to roll into Lubbock and beat Texas Tech by 27 points. I got news for you. You can bet it at FanDuel. It's Oregon minus six and a half, minus seven. You might not think it matters. We might win. We might cover. That's kind of the way I'm feeling right now. I don't know about a blowout. But I kind of like the cover at this point in time. And if you like it or if you want to bet it the other way, by all means, go to FanDuel and do just that. All customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Did you hear that? That's a multi-hundred dollar ordeal that you're getting $100 off of. So now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app, safe, secure, super easy to use with a great interface. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So anyway, could anyone think of a time in which a team... Has I'm I'm being rhetorical here, of course, because uh, we're all aware of what happened in 2021. We simultaneously needed a goal line stand to beat a one in five Cal team at home, and then we also beat Ohio State on the road. That happened in a season. I bring this up to say, if you are someone that is in the camp of hey, Texas Tech lost at Wyoming, they must stink. We're gonna kill them. I have two things to say to you. Number one, I find that to be foolish. Number two, Vegas finds that to be foolish. Because if Vegas thought we were going to roll in there and not have any problems, that line would have moved even more. And we have seen more line movement on a game because of an outcome that happened the prior week. For example, Colorado was a nine and a half point underdog once upon a time against Nebraska. They're now a three and a half point favorite, last I checked. So you can see lines move drastically. But Vegas looked at the outcome of week one and said, okay, we like Oregon more than we did before. And guess what? That's how I feel. I like Oregon more than I did before. I liked Oregon before the season started. I like them a little bit more now, but not for a single solitary second. Am I as a Duck fan sitting here going, Texas Tech, they're terrible. We're going to roll them. It's going to be easy. There's not going to be anything easy about it. You're going to be playing a ticked-off football team trying to make sure their season doesn't go down the drain with an 0-2 start, playing their first game in front of their home fans who were probably not happy about what they saw last week and are going to do everything in their power, tortillas and all, to will their team to a victory. It's going to be a hostile environment. It's still a Texas Tech team that I think is better than what they showed last week. Now, that was a valley for them, but we haven't seen their peak. Maybe they'll peak in week two. Maybe they won't peak until week seven. We won't really know until they take the field. I feel a little bit better about Oregon. Yes, I do. But in no world am I sitting here going, ah, this is easy. Might not even watch the first half. I mean, we're just, we're just, we're just going to roll them. My game prediction will come later this week, but that is, uh, those are my thoughts on, on, on the Texas Tech game. The internet is a fun and crazy, crazy place. Uh, one of you was getting mad at me for preemptively 
predicting an Oregon loss or something, or like speaking a loss into existence, even though I've never thought that Oregon was going to lose the game because of this entire conversation. The internet's really, really fun. I enjoy it. All right, let's get to the mailbag. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. Kevin, I've been, I've been looking at Oregon and Colorado's schedule for the next few weeks. When Oregon and Colorado meet in week four, they both should be undefeated. Agree. How important do you think this game will be for both coaches, considering what Dan Lanning said about Colorado not winning anything? That was hilarious, by the way. Uh, I agree, Kevin. That was pretty hilarious. I got to admit, Colorado looked good. I agree. Against TCU, and I think they have a chop. They will have a, I think that's supposed to say chip on their shoulder. Every game and something to prove to everyone. Colorado probably has this game circled on their calendar. If Oregon loses this game, then Dan Lanning will really have to eat those words and we'll never hear the end of it. Oregon has to win no matter what, but I would love to hear you address this on the next show. Thanks. So what, uh, first of all, Colorado was wildly impressive to me. That was the surprise of the weekend. Biggest story in college football was a coach prime already has them beating power five teams on the road as a 20 point underdog. Won't be a 20 point underdog again. Um, at least not until, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how much Oregon is favored by now. The ESPN analytics still think Oregon is going to be a big favorite in that game. I suspect Oregon will be a sizable favorite. It just won't be as big as it might've been before. It might not have been as easy as we thought. Do I think that Oregon is going to win that game? Yeah, I feel pretty confident saying that. And here's why. TCU's defense we saw last year was terrible. We saw it against Michigan. We saw it against Georgia. I know those are the best teams in college football, but more on more than one occasion, their defense showed that they are far from elite. And on Saturday against Colorado, props to the Buffs because they took advantage of TCU playing some really poor defense in more than one situation. Situationally, they were bad. They didn't tackle well. They didn't cover well. They didn't do a lot of things well. Offensively, TCU honestly was not that impressive. Still put up 42 points, which I'll get to in just a sec. But Colorado deserves a lot of credit because Sean Lewis, their offensive coordinator, that dude is smart because he came out and with all those new players, that team was well coached. They were buttoned up. They had an identity, and Shador Sanders was damn near flawless in that game. All credit to Sean Lewis and Deion Sanders as well for orchestrating a, a well, well crafted symphony on on offense in Fort Worth on Saturday. So I, I think that was really, really impressive to watch. Now, on the flip side of the coin. Colorado struggled to run the football mightily. And I think Oregon's defense is going to be better than TCU's. Hot take, I know. So I don't think Colorado, impressive though that was, comes into Hudson Stadium and puts up 45 points. I don't see that happen. Michael Penix didn't do that last year, okay? And Colorado has got a couple good weapons, has got a good quarterback. Michael Penix in Washington last year, 37 points which was the worst defensive performance I've seen from the Ducks at Oxen Stadium in a long, long time since that dreaded, that dreadful 2016 season where the defense was absolutely atrocious. That was a bad, bad defense. My goodness, it was terrible. But I don't think they're going to do that. On the flip side of the ball, Colorado's defense had some amazing plays from Travis Hunter. Somehow, it took, uh, who's it, Bryles? 
Kendall Bryles, I think, is the offensive coordinator for TCU now. It took him until like midway through the third quarter to tell Chandler Morris, hey, wherever Travis Hunter goes, why don't you not throw the football there and just say, nope, he's going to take away that receiver. How many times are we going to throw the ball at Travis Hunter? I don't know. Chandler Morris missed some open throws. Chandler Morris threw two picks in the red zone. I don't anticipate that happening with the Ducks. Now, Colorado forced those pair of turnovers or that pair of turnovers inside the five-yard line. One was picked off in the end zone. Hunter made that amazing play at the five. They needed those two plays, empty red zone trips with zero points to allow only 42 points. Now, that's that's what they needed to do. Credit to them. But do I think Oregon is going to allow that many points to Colorado? No, I do not. Buffs struggled to run the football against TCU. I think Oregon's got a better front, and I think they have a better defensive staff as well. Headlined by Dan Lanning. TCU went away from running the football, which Colorado was not able to stop. They ran for they ran the ball for seven yards a carry. You know what Dan Lanning and this offense offense love to do? Run the football behind a really good offensive line. They're not going to get pass happy the way TCU did. If TCU had just kept running the football when they got into the red zone, which Colorado couldn't stop consistently, they'd probably win the football game. And this is a different conversation. So Colorado's defense is still bad. And I don't think Oregon's defense is going to be nearly as bad as TCU's. Could they give them a little bit of a fight? Sure. Yeah, I could see that. They could score a lot of points. We know Oregon's pass defense hasn't hasn't been perfect. It has a lot to prove. And we'll learn a lot more about that this Saturday when they take on Texas Tech. But overall, you know, yeah, of course, if Oregon lost that game, it'd be a disaster and Landing would have to eat crow and everything like that. I, I don't think the, you know, context or framing of the game changes because of the comments and such, because now everyone's found their own home. That was when everyone was staying together. Now everyone's breaking apart. It feels like those words are a little bit emptier uh, at, at this point in time. So not putting a ton of weight behind that. I think Colorado was good. But do I think they're at the point where they can come into Austin Stadium and beat the Ducks? No, I do not. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.